Well, I don't want to start off today's message being too much of a downer, but here goes. <laughs> it's been a rough few weeks out there, hasn't it? I mean, if you're watching the news, you've seen one thing after another come rolling in. We've had another mass shooting in our country. We have seen the worst wildfires recorded in California's history with still over a thousand people that they haven't accounted for. We went through another election, <laughs> and it has once again shown us just how staunchly divided our country is and continues to be. Plus, Stan Lee died, and, and plus the, the Seahawks are still struggling really hard just to be a 5-5 five and five team. Uh, but it's not just the stuff that we see in the news. It's not just the stuff we see on TV. It's just rough all around, isn't it? I mean, our day-to-day -day lives are not going to make the news, but they're rough too. We still have it hard. We are all either experiencing something very painful or we are very close to somebody who is. Or as I've heard it said before, we're all going through a hard time right now. Or we just got out of one. Or we're about to go into one. There was a survey that was done in 2017 uh, by the Gallup organization, and they found that 51% of Americans who are currently employed, now usually that's viewed as a good thing. There are a lot of people, you know, we see the prayer requests, a lot of people are like, I need a job. These people have jobs. 51% of the people that are currently employed in jobs are looking for something else. Most of the people who have this blessing called work aren't happy where they're at. And the list could, and it does, go on and on. And we see it. We see that it's true. It's this promise that Jesus made that we wish he never did make. But he did. This promise. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus goes on. I mean, ain't that the understatement of the century? You will have trouble. But he continues and he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. There is so much more than you can see. Take heart. Sin, crisis, trouble, evil will not get the last word. Not even close. Take heart. We serve a God who is alive and powerful and victorious. Take heart. Jesus has a bigger and better plan than anything we could ask for or even imagine. Those are such encouraging words. And when I hear those words and I see the great struggles around me, the struggles that surround our community and our country and people everywhere, there's one simple question that comes to my mind. How can I get some of that? In this world that's so full of darkness, how can I be the one seeing the light? How can I be the one who knows how to take heart, who finds the strength to carry on? How can I get what Jesus is giving out? It's a great question. But we always ask that question, don't we? Any awesome thing the Bible says, you know, talks about, we're like, yes, give me heaven. Yes. Uh, I read something there about uh, we have to be forgiven multiple times in one day. I need that one today. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's that thing where Jesus promises us that promises that he will give us anything that we ask. He probably should have thought that one through a little bit more before he said that. But give me that one. Give me that one. We always read about the blessings God has in store for us, and we immediately go to me. God, I saw your promise 
Tell me the secret. How do I unlock it? What do I got to do to get that one? I want it. I need it. You promised it. So it has to be true. And it's not wrong to want the promises of God. Not at all. But today I do want to flip that question on its head. Because when God says... He has hope, he has help, he has encouragement, wisdom, strength, or providence for those in need. Instead of asking, how do I get that one? Today and next week, I want us to start asking this question. How do I give that one? God promises to give us everything we need to live the life that he's called us to, everything. How do we give that gift to others in need? If you've been joining us in 20-minute mornings this month, perhaps you read it even this week. See, each week we focus on reading and rereading one chapter of the Bible. We'll read the same chapter over and over again to just really allow God's Word to sink into our hearts. And it's awesome. I mean, God literally shows me something different at the end of the week in the same chapter I've been reading all week long than He did at the beginning. So it's one chapter every day, but then we'll also include a bonus. If you want to read more than that one, here's a second thing that you can read. And this week, that bonus scripture brought us back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus teaches this very point. My relationship with him isn't all about me, but it's for those who would call them, for, for those of us who would call themselves Christ's followers, we have a divine assignment to show his goodness, his truth, his grace, the difference he makes to the rest of the world. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus tells his disciples this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, it's a familiar passage. It's one that tells us, look, don't keep this great thing Christ has done a secret. The world needs to know. The world needs to see. You are on assignment. But sometimes I don't think we realize just how important of an assignment we are on. I mean, we've all been given a lot of assignments in our day, have we not? My kids get chores every day. We've had things for school. We've had things for our work. And so it's just another thing that adds on to our list. And maybe it'll get done sometime. Yay, assignments. But every once in a while, there's an assignment that stands out from all the rest. I mean, this is the kind where, where your boss pulls you aside and he tells you, all right, this one's different, okay? This one matters almost above everything else we've ever seen before. This one is a can't-fail assignment. It's going to be tougher. It's going to stretch you. It's going to challenge you in ways you haven't known, but it's going to be worth it. This, we're thinking this one is going to be a game-changer for our organization, and we've thought it through every way we can, and we think you, we think you are the very best person for this job. But hey, we don't want you to say yes unless you are really up for it. So think it over and let us know tomorrow if you're really in or out because we have to move out on this assignment. It must happen. 
That's a different kind of assignment. Because there's assignments, and then there are these game-changing assignments. And when Jesus tells his followers that they are the light of the world, there's no question which category of assignment this fits in. This is no little matter. In fact, in this assignment, we share the very task of God himself. This isn't like the lesser stuff. He's like, hey, I need you to take care of this because i got more important things to do. No. This isn't just an add-on. Here, try this out. See if that works for you. No, this is the very mission of Jesus passed on directly to those who would follow him. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says these words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, in the next chapter, he repeats that claim. He says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. See, this is a title we don't see anywhere before the Gospels in the Bible. It's not just something that was used, oh, this is a common expression. We just use this like, he's a nice guy. That's a real light of the world kind of guy. No. This is a title for the Son of God, bringing a hope and a truth big enough to save the world. This is the singular answer to the combined heaviness of every evil thing ever done, every wrong ever committed, every sin that has kept people trapped in darkness. Jesus, God's only eternally existing Son, is the light of the world, but He passes that title on. Yes, He is the divine answer to the darkness. But now you are, and I am, we are, we are the light of the world if we have given our lives over to him. He's the original light. He is the purest light. He is the source of the light even that we have to give. He is everything good, everything this world needs to see and to know and to find life, but he places that impossibly high title on us. Now, don't worry, it's not on you individually. So nobody needs to go run out and get some business cards this week. Hey, I'm Matt Venable, light of the world. You may have heard of me. No, you individually are not the light of the world, but we collectively are. So here we are. We have this, we have this top-tier, straight-from-the-boss assignments. Continue his work cut through the darkness in this world to show people the freedom, the love, the truth, the hope that God wants to welcome them into. Be the light of the world that brings people to the Father. We are given a title that first belonged and foremost belonged to Jesus, and that's not an accident. See, God is sharing His mission with us, and we see that, God sharing who He is with us. Jesus is the Son of God, and He opens up the opportunity for us to become sons and daughters of God. Together, we're even known as Christ's body. He continues to be physically present in this world through us. Now, there's a work of His that is done that only He could do and we could never approach. Jesus completed His work 
of living a perfect life, dying a sacrificial death, conquering sin, conquering the grave, rising again, that work will never again have to be repeated. That work ended the need for the whole Jewish sacrificial system. Never again would blood need to be shed for us to be right with God. Because the perfect sacrifice has been made for everyone, for all time, even well before you and I ever admitted that we might need to be right with God. I mean, the Bible says we were still sinners. It even says we were still Christ's enemies when He did this work, when Christ died for us. That work is powerful, it is effective, and it is complete. But Jesus' work of pursuing people his work of revealing the truth, of showing them who God is, of inviting them into his family, that work is far from done. In fact, that is the work that he explicitly passes on to us. We see it over and over in his final words, in his final moments, that he says, this work needs to be passed on. I am sending you out to be light in this world. And the last prayer that he gives in his in his uh, last supper with his disciples before he is crucified, we see him sending his disciples out into the world. In the last challenge he gives to people in the book of Matthew, the great commission, we know it again, we see him again sending his disciples out into their city, sending them out into their world to make disciples. In the last words that Jesus speaks before he ascends directly into heaven, as people watch this happen, he says, you will be sent, disciples, out into your city, out into your region, out into your enemies, out into uttermost parts of the earth that you have not seen or known. We see him sending and sending. The work of salvation has been accomplished, but the work of reaching people, of showing them a new life, of being a light in the darkness, this is God's continuing mission. And when Jesus left the earth, he looked squarely at every one of his followers and he said it over and over and over again, you've got a job to do. You are a sent people. There's a world full of darkness out there. Go and bring light. Go and be the light in the darkness. It's quite an assignment. It's the work of God delivered through human hands and feet, through human dollars and decisions. It's our purpose in this world. It's us acting in concert with the heart of God. So at this point, maybe some of you are like, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's do it. Let's go light it up. Light of the planet coming through, ready to do this stuff. I mean, it is a really cool assignment, right? Jesus Christ himself has said, here you go. Take my title. Take my mission. Take my spirit. Take my blessing and go change the world. But how? <laughs> right? What does it mean to be a light in the darkness? What does it look like? That's what we're going to talk about for the next two weeks. This is a two-parter, folks. In short, I will tell you that being a light in the darkness takes two seemingly contradictory things, separation and engagement. Being a light in the darkness takes two things that seem like they don't belong together, separation and engagements. See, many have just tried separation. They have failed to be a light in the darkness. They have been a light in the light. <laughs> Others have just tried engagements, and while they have managed to be in the darkness, they have lost track of their light. So we need both. 
So today I get the chance, I get to talk with you about separation. And then next week, Andrew's going to be speaking with us, and I'm really excited for that. Glad to hear Andrew speaking again. And he is going to talk about engagement. Please don't just listen to one talk, though. Make it a point to be here next week, or if you can't be here next week, then make it a point to get online and listen to the podcast, because if you just apply one message or the other, you will really be missing something, okay? Those 10 of you are on the right track. Great. So let's talk practically today. We are going to get practical about what it means to take up Jesus' assignments to be a light in this dark world. And today I get to tell you something that maybe you didn't want to hear. I get to tell you something you didn't want to hear, that being a light in the darkness first requires a separation. The very first requirement is that we are not full of darkness ourselves, that we are not participating in the activities of darkness, that we are not choosing the same things that we chose when we didn't know Christ. In short, the most definitive thing about light is that it is not darkness. Really, think about it. Light chases darkness away. Light gives an alternative to darkness. Light replaces darkness. Light cannot match darkness. Light cannot blend in with darkness. If it does, it has lost its purpose. If it does, it is ineffective. Jesus basically says if it does, it's not light. It isn't. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, he uses an illustration. He says, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's not light. Light and darkness are not compatible. To choose one is to reject the other one. Fair enough. Good physics. (laughs) But why would I say that it's something that we don't want to hear? Because this one gets personal real quick. See, this is one where we like, I would say even we love, we love half of the message. You are the light of the world. Sounds pretty good. God's light has been poured into you. You have been given the highest assignment in all creation. Great. I love that half of the message. But as soon as you tell me that embracing light means I must reject some other things, that I must reject darkness, that puts some serious restrictions on me. See, I want to have my cake and eat it too, which is a really weird expression, but it's there. I want to have it and I want to eat it. I want to be the light and not reject darkness. That gives me all the options that I prefer to have available to me. But you must be the light and reject the darkness. That is the whole message. That is the full story. Let's look at what some of God's Word says on the matter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is a great example. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Awesome. Love that part. New stuff. The old has gone. Hmm. That's in there. A new life has begun. Okay, good. I like it again. I like how it ends. I'm sure that when it talks about the old stuff going away, it's only talking about the old stuff we didn't want anyway. <laughs> right? Probably not. Sorry, the the, the New Testament teaches over and over again this concept called dying to yourself. Jesus brings it up. Paul brings it up and says it has to happen daily. 
in order for us to live for Christ. The old must go away. Well, let's look at another teaching. How about this teaching on the fruit of the Spirit? Love the teaching. If you are a Christian, if you've been one for a while, hopefully you have had a chance to become familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, essentially, it's this fantastic teaching in the Bible where it says, here is what living in the light looks like. You want to know what it looks like? Here is what the Spirit of God will produce in you. And it's found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Here it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. It's really patience. Forbearance, (laughs) kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And we love those verses. Look at the good that God wants to produce in us. Who wouldn't want more love and patience? Can't the world use more goodness and gentleness and self-control? And look, it even says it right there. This is like not even offensive teaching. Against such things, there is no law. Everyone loves the part that says, be the light. And so we put this on coffee mugs. We put it in artwork. We put it in a whole bunch of other stuff that you can buy on Amazon if you want to. And a lot of us long-time Christians, we even memorize those verses. We know this list, right? We can just rattle it off. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? But how often do we pay attention to the verse that comes right after? How often do we pay attention to the verses that come right before? Because they tell us the rest of the story. Look at the verse immediately after. We just read 22 and 23. Verse 24 says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Whoa! Crucifying the flesh? Well, that's death language right there. What does that mean? Killing the flesh? Oh, well, if you read the three verses prior, you'd know. The three three verses prior before it describes the fruit of the Spirit, it says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then it goes into a list that, now I haven't looked comprehensively, but it goes into a list I have never seen on a coffee mug. (laughs) The acts of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the things that have to be put to death in order for the fruit of the Spirit to be produced in us. In a way, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 sums this requirement up. It says this, Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. The first essential characteristic of being light in the darkness is that we have to be light. We have to be separate, different from the darkness. We have to choose the things of God instead of the things of this world. In fact, what's often required is that we will have to get rid of the things of this world in order to make room for the things of God to grow. 
The Bible has a term for this separation. Um, it's not one that you will probably hear in a casual conversation. You're probably not going to run into this term at your work, with your neighbors, hanging out with your relatives over Thanksgiving. That's right, folks. This is the subject no one is talking about. Hmm? No one's talking about it, and it's this thing called holiness. Holiness. It's basically a fancy term that means set-apartness. Set-apartness. To be holy means to be set apart for God's purposes. Strangely enough, the word holy is found in the Bible some 551 times, but we almost never mention it. I mean, it's there from front to back, and it's primarily used to describe God. He is the most set-apart being there ever is or ever was or ever will be. No one is His equal. Nothing can approach His power, His perfection, His supremacy. Nothing can change Him. Nothing can damage Him. Nothing can even cause God to have an off day. That's pretty cool. He is set apart from all creation, heaven and on earth. He is set apart for His own purposes. He is holy. And there are even creatures in heaven who just proclaim His facts over and over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So when we speak of holiness, we are first and foremost speaking about God Himself. But once again, we should be a little bit amazed. Can you be a little amazed with me? <laughs> because the second most common use of the word holy in the Bible is talking about God's people. That's the second most common way. From the very beginning when God first started calling the nation of Israel, all the way through the New Testament, the term is used over and over again. And as God's people... We are called to this strange and wonderful thing called holiness. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. It says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Be holy holy in all you do. Be set apart for God's purposes in all you do. That is a tall order. Get rid of everything that's pleasing to God that you used to do when you were still ignorant. Everything? That's another tall order. Holiness is supposed to seep into every corner of our lives, every aspect of our lives. And yet, how often does the thought of holiness even cross our minds? Yes, holiness is a tall order, but it's time. And it's the calling of God that we stop using that as an excuse and we start filling the tall order that God has placed in front of us. And when we do, here's what we'll find. He will guide us in it. He will give us the strength to follow Him in obedience. He will be gracious and merciful to us as we stumble along the way. He will help us grow one step at a time anyway. God will be the one to grow holiness in us. But He does that when we choose to pursue holiness, not when we ignore it. 
And I have to say that one again. God will be the one to grow holiness in us, but He does that when we choose to pursue holiness and not to ignore it. I love the verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. It's speaking of Jesus Christ, and it says this, For by one sacrifice, He, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can be made perfect forever, for all time in God's sight, even though we are still being made holy. We are still in the process of pursuing holiness. Holiness isn't about earning anything. It's not a competition either. It's not about being holier than other people. It's about putting our lives in Jesus' hands putting them fully in Jesus' hands. It's about being set apart from sin, from selfishness, from anything that would compete with what God wants for in our lives. As Pastor Josh would say it, holiness is not about what God wants from you. It is about what God wants for you. It is about fulfilling the purpose God made you for. God made you to be light to be set apart for Him and to bring His light to those who haven't received it yet. So let's wrap up this talk today by being really practical. Again, given how important holiness is, it's sad that probably most of us don't think of the term holiness and the term practical in the same sentence very often. (laughs) Huh. Your friend asks you, hey, what did you talk about in church today? Oh, we talked about holiness. Oh. Well, I rearranged some shelves in my garage. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's probably this conversation killer, right? Like holiness, uh, oh, that's that thing that nobody knows how to relate to. Great. Not for you and me, okay? Not for you and me anymore. Not after today, okay? We are going to know how to relate to this because we're going to talk about it really practical today. And I want us to wrap up with asking ourselves three practical questions about holiness, And with each question, I'm going to give you one practical, my favorite adjective today, one practical suggestion that you may use or you may want to pursue depending on how you answer the question. So yes, this is kind of the end of the talk today, but I'll just come out and say it. I'm also kind of assigning homework. So here goes. The first question is this. Am I more concerned with my happiness or with my holiness? Am I more concerned with my happiness or with my holiness? See, this first question, in some ways, it's the overarching question of them all. God has called us to be light, to be separated for Him and His purposes. It's why we're here. God has called us to holiness, but this world is all about happiness, all about happiness. Now, happiness isn't a bad thing. But if you place it above holiness, it is. Happiness is not a bad thing, but if you place it above holiness, it is a bad thing. God's Word drives us 180 degrees in the opposite direction. It says this life is designed to be the time when we learn how to live for God, when we learn how to serve and love others ahead of ourselves. And while absolutely in this life, God will still bless us, even here in our life, our real reward, our real happiness we are pursuing is in the life to come. We have an eternity of joy and satisfaction with Christ that will come to us if we make His purposes 
our primary aim in this life. So what if, what if happiness is kind of the way you've been doing things? I mean, it's the way everyone else is doing things. It's the way people make decisions. It's been your primary way of making choices in your life, and, and maybe God's purposes have taken a backseat. Then what can, should, maybe you do? The practical suggestion here is this. Drop an ad. This is my fantasy football suggestion for you right here. 50% of you at least will get this. This is a drop an ad suggestion. Take a look at your life. Find something that you invest your time, your money, your effort into that you have made those decisions solely based on your happiness. Find one of those things and drop it from your life. Take it out. But don't just drop it from your life. Add something else back in. Replace that with something that you are adding into your life that you are doing solely for the purpose of holiness, of being set apart for God. Next question. Next question is this. Is my time with God my fuel or my hobby? Is my time with God my fuel or my hobby? And be honest on this one. It's great to go, oh, I know what the right answer is. What does your life look like? What does your time with God actually look like? Is it random? Is it optional? Is it infrequent? Do you really only pursue it when you feel like it? If so, then I hate to tell you, you've got a hobby there, my friend. Being the light of the world is not a hobby. It's the call to carry on God's mission on earth. Fulfilling that calling, that requires some serious fuel. That requires you to reach outside of yourself for what you need to do that. If we're to be the light of the world, we've got to get that light from the source. 1 John 1.5 tells us that God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. He's the pure source. We can't do this on our own. And if this, life, this is our life's purpose, then meeting up with God and receiving from Him and responding to Him, that is like eating or breathing. It needs to happen every day. The practical suggestion here is this. No small thing. Start every single day of your life with time set aside for God. Just every day of your life. But start every single day of your life with time set aside for God. We have a great tool here that can help you with that called 20-Minute Mornings. We mentioned it earlier. And I can tell you that your whole staff in this church is committed to that. A number of others of you in the church are already committed to using that tool to help guide us into time with God every morning. You can pick up a guide for it on your way out if you want to. They're at the welcome desk right outside the double doors out there. Or you can follow it on the church app that we talked to you about as well. But however you do it, Treat your time with God as your fuel, something you need, something you can't live without, not just your hobby. Final question is this. Can God change anything He wants in my life? Can God change anything He wants in my life? We already read about it earlier, that, that holiness, being separate, being set apart is not just about working on the good stuff, seeing if we can add a little bit here or there. It's also about getting rid of sin. 
If you want to spend some more time on reading on this process, read Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 and 5. If you're going to do that, though, read it slowly, read it carefully, you know, as if it applies to you. And you'll see plenty of both. You will see that there are instructions of all the good things, right? To imitate Christ, to use your gifts, to live out the love that God has shown to us. But you will also see right alongside of those that you've got to get rid of sexual sin. You've got to get rid of greed. You've got to stop stealing, stop lying and cheating other people. You've got to stop taking your cues from the world around you. It's straightforward and shows you both sides of the message. So pursuing holiness means that you let God in and he can change anything he wants to change. The practical suggestion here is a good one for everyone, no matter how you answered the question in this case. In fact, this one's almost a dare, but we'll call it a challenge because that's what we do in church. But your suggestion slash challenge slash dare is this. Pray every day this week and ask God to show you what He wants to change in your life. I challenge you on this. To ask God every day this week, God, what do you want to change? I'm ready to do it. What do you want to change? What do you want to change? Show me what you want to change. Ask God every day this week. I'll bet you there's probably something for everyone else. Every one of us probably has something God is waiting to speak to us about. All right, well, at the beginning of this message... We looked at Jesus' powerful statement that this world is messed up, it's broken, but in the midst of the brokenness, He's the answer. He is the strength. He is the encouragement that this world needs. But the world, the vast sea of people who God loves that are still living in darkness, they are never going to connect with Jesus unless a light shines in that darkness. Today was part one. For those of us called to be lights, we are called to be separate, set apart. We're called to be holy. Don't just stop with part one. Come back next week, and we'll talk about engaging those who are still in the darkness. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you for showing us your light. Thank you for the hope that we have. And thank you for holy people. Thank you for holy people who lived differently, who lived set apart in a way that reached us, that showed us who you are. Help us to be some of those people for others. Your light shining in the darkness. I pray you'd meet each of us this week as we ask these practical questions and guide us, Lord, in becoming more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.